Well, today we are heading into part two of a six-part series called The Blessed Life, and it's pretty important that you take notice of the title of this series. To be clear, that this is not a series talking about something we want from you. It's all about something that we want for you. And what do we want for you? Well, we want a blessed life. Not just a blessed wallet, not just a blessed marriage or a blessed family or blessed health. No, no, we want you to truly live a blessed life. This is, in fact, something that we stole directly from Jesus. He, whether you believe this or not, he, he wants this so desperately for you. And the only way that you're ever going to live this blessed life that God has intended for you is if you begin to live a life that is marked by generosity. As we talked about at length last week, and as Jesus himself points out to us, it's all about the heart. See, Jesus, even though other churches maybe have led you to believe this, he, he isn't after your money. He, he's after your heart. And whether you put this together or not, God's chief competitor for your heart will always be your money. That the largest obstacle that stands in the way of your heart, and it's always been this way, and I suspect it always will be, will forever be your money, your stuff, your possessions. Jesus is smart enough to know that if you'll hand him control of your bank account, your wallet, your money, you'll eventually hand him control of everything else. For most people, and certainly including those who would call themselves Christians, our last holdout is typically our wallet. And for those of you who are new to this whole church, you're new to this whole Christianity thing, you deserve to know this. God does not just want access to some of your life. He wants you to hand him control of everything. We mentioned this last week as well, that believing in Jesus is actually pretty easy. I mean, after all, putting your trust in a guy who predicted his own death and predicted his own resurrection that actually pulled that off, that, that's not that difficult. But following Jesus, like actually following him, that is extraordinarily difficult. But, but as you give him access to your life, you inevitably discover that he is such a better ruler over your life than you could ever be. You inevitably arrive at this all too familiar place of, why did I wait so long? Seriously, what is wrong with me? This really is so much better. Now, I want to make this really, really clear, and hopefully y'all aren't getting sick of me of saying this, uh, because it's true of every teaching series that we do, but this one, it holds especially true. That this is not the series to just kind of pop in and out of as you see fit. If you happen to just catch a couple of these messages in isolation, that there's stuff that's going to sound strange, even downright offensive, if you have not listened to this entire series. In fact, this series is actually basically a three-hour sermon that's been broken down into six parts because a bunch of y'all would, would cry if we had a three-hour church service. So if you happen to miss any week in the series, you have to go back and catch yourself up. Uh, you can always conveniently do that at grumlaw.com slash messages or you can find us in a Grumlaw Church on Spotify, on iTunes, wherever it is that you happen to grab your podcast. So again, we're heading into part two today. So if you weren't here last week, make sure you go back and listen to part one. Now, now last thing here before I head into this week's content, and I mentioned this last week, but it definitely bears worth repeating. If you are not a follower of Jesus, please do not get offended. Please do not get defensive by anything that we're going to be presenting over these six weeks. For far too long, Christians have tried to impose Christian rules on people who wouldn't claim to be followers of Jesus. And as I so eloquently said last week, that is just, well, dumb. See, see some of what we're going to be presenting is, is going to sound really, really blunt. But just remember, if you aren't a Christian, 
You don't have to do this stuff. You get to pick and choose. However, if you call yourself a Christian, you don't have that luxury. So, so don't get mad at me. In fact, actually, you should get mad at God. He's the one that decided to make this the second most popular subject in his book. Now, now this week's message is aptly titled, What Test? Uh, many people, including, in fact, many Christians, they don't realize that God has designed a test. And you take this test every single time that you get paid. And the test is, whom are you going to thank for your income? How many of you watching right now are paid monthly, maybe, maybe bi-weekly, maybe weekly? Some of you, you maybe never get paid. You, whether you realize it or not, you take a test every single time that money hits your bank account. And again, let me remind you that this is primarily a conversation targeted at the Jesus followers. The, the, the test is, what are you going to do with that first 10%? And, and just in case, your, your defense mechanisms are already going up, and before you think to yourself, I knew it, I, I told you that guy looked a little bit shady, I mean, just look at his tattoos, I bet he robs liquor stores on the weekend, I mean, he just wants my money. R- remember, a pastor, myself, we didn't come up with this test. God, the God who does not change, he is the one who came up with this test. And for those of you who have been at this church thing for really any amount of time, it's worth noting that this test appears before the Old Testament law, after the Old Testament law, as well as in the New Testament. And I have to mention that because for for most people who don't tithe, you're, you're not bad people. It's just so often you believe that this is this Old Testament rule that we don't really need to adhere to anymore because that came about before Jesus. There's a real problem, by the way, when we walk down that path. Well, if it's in you know, that first part of the Bible, we don't really need to listen to that. That, that is honestly not very intelligent. Uh, for, for instance, in the first half of the Bible, there's a lot of talk about not committing adultery. But, but, but I think we can all agree that that's still a pretty bad idea, right? So, so we're going to jump now for, for a good chunk of our time here this morning into the book of Malachi. It's the last book in the Old Testament, uh, that first half of the Bible, and, and there's where we're going to be spending a, a good amount of time this morning. So Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, it says, I, the Lord, do not change. God, just in case you're curious, and we're going to park here for a second, God does not change. And the reason that God doesn't change is because if he could, that would mean that he could get better, which he cannot because he is perfect. His personhood can't change. His character cannot change. God does not change. It continues, it says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Now, He's actually being kind of funny right here, but by adding in this comment, he's going, by the way, it's actually a really, really good thing that I don't change because I'm kind, I'm merciful, I'm gracious. And if I could change, well, you'd be in trouble. I would have, in fact, destroyed you by now because your rebellion is so audacious. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Now, now, quick lesson right here on this word ordinances. As the word itself would probably suggest to you, the root word here is ordinary. So, so what ordinances means is that an ordinance is a principle of ordinary behavior. For, for instance, you might receive a notice from your city to clean up all the broken, all the rusty vehicles that are laying around in your front yard because they made an ordinance that keeping your yard free of junk is a principle of ordinary behavior for the people who live in your community. Now back to God. He's saying, you keep wandering away from my principles of ordinary behavior for my children. Not stealing, not committing adultery, 
not lying. These are all found in the Old Testament, but they are principles of ordinary behavior for followers of Jesus. Tithing, while yes, it's certainly found in the Old Testament, it's also a principle of ordinary behavior for a follower of Jesus. Some of you are seeing right now where I'm going with this and you don't like it. I'm kind of looking like you want to hit me right now. All right. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my ordinances and you have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? I I highlighted this again to remind you that this is God talking. The God who cannot, the God who does not change. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But, but you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Now, now this is really, really important to note. God is not saying, hey, you're not giving back to me what was mine in the first place, so now I'm going to curse you. No, no. He, he's pointing out that we live in a fallen, we live in a sin-filled world. And by not doing, God is saying, by not doing what I have asked you to do, ordinary behavior for for, for my followers, you are allowing yourself to be placed under the rule. You're allowing yourself to be placed under the curse of the sin-filled world that you find yourself a part of. In other words, he's saying, I have such a better way that I am inviting you into, but yet you keep choosing the curse-filled system of the world. There's a difference between theft and robbery. The theft is when you take something from someone when they're not home. Robbery is when you take something from the person himself, right in front of his or her nose. God's saying, you have marched right into my house, and you have taken from me what is mine. Isn't this such a fun sermon? Y'all are probably really glad you tuned in today. Bring, he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Now, now this right here, this isn't metaphorical. He's talking about the local church. And and if you are watching right now and you call this place your church home, I have to think that one of the reasons that you keep coming back to Grumlaw, if not maybe the biggest reason, is that you are being fed spiritually. He's saying, hey, by giving back to the church what was already mine to begin with, you're allowing yourself as well as others to be fed spiritually. This is worth pausing and mentioning right now. That there are plenty of people who are watching right now, that you're absolutely crushing it in this area. And to you, I want to make sure you hear this loud and clear. Thank you. Because of your generosity, you are allowing every single week the people who walk through the doors of Grumlaw to be fed spiritually. And even more importantly, you're allowing those who are spiritually lost to hear the life-changing message of Jesus. We should get excited about that. To date, in fact, in 2021, we've given away nearly a quarter of a million dollars as a church to to so many of you. Thank you. Thank you for playing a part in that. More and more people are being fed because of you. Then God goes on to say, test me in this. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. This word that we see right here, test, it's the same word used when speaking about testing gold or testing another metal to see if it's pure. God's saying, test me and see if I am pure in this area. 
Give me 10% and see if I'm not pure in this area. It's worth noting that this is the only occasion in this entire book that we call the Bible where God actually gives you permission. He almost challenges you to test him. He goes on, he says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Not only will I bless you, is what he's saying right here, I will actually prevent calamity from coming your way. I'm absolutely convinced that one of the most sobering experiences followers of Jesus will experience will be shortly on the other side of eternity. When God reveals to us all the ways that he protected us, all the ways that, that he prevented calamity from coming our way for us during our time on earth. So seriously, if you're on the fence about following Jesus, I feel like this right here is enough reason to jump on board with all of this. I mean, don't you want God going before you? Don't you want God Almighty fighting your battles for you? Then all the nations will call you, here's our word, blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. In other words, he's saying it's going to be obvious to all the people around you that, that God's hand of favor is on you. So, so point number one, we have three of these here this morning. Tithing is a test. The, the, the word tithe means a tenth. And, and all throughout scripture, the number ten represents testing. Ten plagues in Egypt where Pharaoh is tested, ten commandments, Daniel is tested for ten days, you get the idea. And, and as we just covered, it's not just a test for you. Think about this. It's actually a test for God. He, he has invited you to test him in this area. God's saying, test me, I dare you. It's kind of crazy to think about it in those terms. It, it's why we as a church, I'll usually when we speak about money and specifically with giving, uh, we, we throw out what's just kind of come to be known as this 90-day challenge. Where we say to those of you who maybe aren't participating in this right now, we, we say, hey, just pick a percentage. Pick a percentage to give back to the local church and, and do that over the next 90 days and, and watch how God shows up and shows off in your life. And, and if at the end of those 90 days you feel like we've duped you, we, we feel like, oh, God, we just can't afford to do this. We need that money back. Grumlaw will literally refund you every single nickel. But, but here's the thing, I, I could tell you story after story after story of people, uh, of couples who, who've they taken this challenge, and, and usually it doesn't even take 30 days. And, and they come up to me, and the sentence always starts in the exact same manner. Shay, we took the 90-day challenge, and you're not going to believe what happened to us this week. I believe it. It, it doesn't even surprise me anymore. And, and, and why should it? Because God said, test me in this. Number two, tithing is a regular topic of conversation for God. And not only God, but Jesus himself. To, to, to go back to what I mentioned at the beginning of this message and what we're really focused on last week, it's not because he's after your wallet. He's after your heart. And, and you better believe that Jesus is going to break down any wall that might get between you and him. I mentioned this last week. You might not be convinced that we ought to talk about something just because the Bible says so. If that's where you're at on this whole faith journey, that's totally fair. That's totally okay. So, so maybe let me appeal to the more logical side of your brain for a second. Money is a constant, a regular part of our dialogue in this life. You argue with your spouse about it. You strategize about how to save it. You get wrapped up in ways to make more of it. 
You, you think about how to invest it, and, and God's just over here going, hey, hey, why won't you let me in on this conversation? Haven't I proven myself trustworthy? Haven't I shown you that I have your best interest in mind every step of the way? So, so why won't you give me a shot here? It's worth noting for you biblical scholars that the word tithe appears in Scripture 41 times. More than half of those are found outside of the law. I want to give you just a couple of those examples uh, outside of that rather famous example that we just broke down here in Malachi. But first, I want to ask all you Jesus followers a rather direct question. If Jesus himself asked you to tithe, would you? Now, I can't see what's going on on the other side of these screens, but did everybody just say yes? admittedly, I'm trying to make light of a pretty heavy subject, but what's incredible is that there are a good number of Christians, again, all you non-Christians, you're off the hook, that there are a good number of Christians that, that had to think about that. In Matthew chapter 23, this is one of the four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus. Here in Matthew 23, these words from Jesus himself have been preserved for us. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Remember, this is Jesus himself, and he's saying, you tithe as you're supposed to, but, but you're neglecting this other stuff. Namely, behaving like me. Namely, behaving like your heavenly Father. You're representing me very poorly. Yes, you definitely ought to tithe, but also don't neglect this other stuff either. I'm just making sure you're letting that sink in. It's Jesus himself saying that, yes, you should practice this. The man who got off of his throne in heaven and gave his life for you, freely gave his life for your sin, and again, I'm going to keep reminding us of this throughout this series. It's not because he's after your money. He's after your heart. He doesn't want you living under a curse. He has your best interest in mind. He's such a better ruler over your life than you could ever be. Another example we find is in the book of Hebrews. Again, another book that we find in the New Testament, that second half of the Bible. It says, in this case, mortal men receive tithes, but in that case, one receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives on. Now, without giving you all the other context, this verse can be a little bit confusing. Let, let me cut to the chase. What the writer here is telling us is that when we tithe, when we give, it is Jesus himself who receives it. And through this very counterculture practice, it actually serves as a witness to the resurrection. Remember last week when I said we, we never look more like Jesus than when we're being generous. That, that verse in Hebrews, that is exactly where I stole this thought from. Freely giving away a portion of our finances, it stands in such stark contrast to the way of this world, to, to the spirit of this world, that, that it actually stands as a witness to Jesus himself. You start practicing this and get ready for the ways that you'll have the opportunity to point those around you to Jesus. It grabs the attention of a broken world. It demands a closer look. It's why we don't just ask this of you, but we actually practice this as a church as well. Hundreds of thousands of dollars every year, significantly actually more than 10%, go right back into our world. 
could go right back into our community to signal to the community that we find ourselves a part of that, that just like Jesus, we don't want something from you. No, no, we want something for you. Listen, I, I haven't been a pastor for, for, for too long, but, but I hear the exact same two testimonies over and over again from people within this church, especially as it relates to giving. From those that, that tithe, from those that practice this, you hear them say it over and over again, I'm so blessed. It doesn't mean that they don't have financial stress in their lives, but they just over and over will say, I'm just so blessed. And then from those that don't, I, I hear the same thing. Shay, I, I just can't afford to. We, we can't afford to tithe. Make sure you hear me on this. You're not a bad person if you struggle in this area. In fact, in a lot of ways, you're just normal. But, but this is so important. You will never be able to afford to tithe until you tithe. And if you're sitting there right now thinking to yourself, that has to be the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. I mean, are there actually people nodding their heads in agreement? My challenge to you would be simple. Just take that 90-day challenge. Take that challenge that for the next 90 days, give a percentage of your income back to the local church and watch how God shows up and shows off. You quite literally have nothing to lose. I'm not kidding. We will literally refund you every nickel if you ask for it. Now, listen, you got to actually like, you know, do this in a way where we know that you gave us this money because I could see somebody like taking advantage of this and being like, I gave like $2,000 a couple of weeks ago. I, I, my name wasn't attached to it. It's like, okay, we, we actually have to know that this is happening. But, but seriously, we really will do this. We will refund you every single nickel. And, and then number three, tithing. Tithing is personal. Not only is this personal for you, God takes this more personally than you can possibly uh, imagine. Let me paint a picture for you. Let's say that, uh, you know, this year and the last year and a half have been pretty challenging for me. And so I I come to this decision that I'm going to take a six-month sabbatical. I'm going to get away by myself to just kind of recharge my spiritual batteries for the next six months. But, but obviously, that's going to be hard walking away from my family, walking away from this church for six months. And so I, I want to make sure that my family is well taken care of. And so I call three guys that I trust. I call Josh, our worship pastor in Heartland. I call John, our worship pastor in Grand Blank. And I also call my brother-in-law, Mitch. And I say, hey, here's what I want to do. I, I love you guys. I appreciate you guys. You guys have been a blessing to my life. You have been a blessing to the life of this church. And, and more than anything, I, I actually really just want to bless you guys. But I, I want to channel some resources through you guys, okay? Like my, my wife, she, she's going to be fine either way because ultimately she does have access to our bank account. But, but I'm just trying to channel some resources through you guys to make sure that my wife is taken care of. But even more than that, that you guys are just feeling blessed because you have been such a blessing in my life. And so I, I set up a direct deposit and the first of every month, $10,000 gets directed into each one of their bank accounts. And all I say is I say, hey, 10%. 10%, I want you to give that to Andrea. The other 90% is a gift to you because I care about you guys so much. And again, you have been such a blessing to my life. And, and so, you know, we go through those first couple of months and eventually I, I call Andrea. You know, I'm on the other side of the world and I pick up the phone and I call my wife and I say, hey, how are the guys doing? Are, are, are they giving to you what, what, what I asked them to do? And she's like, oh my gosh, yeah, Josh is great. You know, for first of every month, Josh, he Venmos me, you know, $1,000 straight away. I, I mean, usually I, I wake up on that first day of the month and it's already there sitting. The, the alert is there and I get to just transfer it into my bank account. Yeah, he's crushing it. I'm like, okay, what, 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 about, what about Mitch? Oh, Mitch is great. Actually, he's not even given just 10%. He gives me $2,000 at the beginning of every month. And in fact, he actually swung by the house the other day. He asked me if I needed help with anything. He ended up mowing the yard. I'm like, oh my gosh, I love Mitch. I'm like, what about John? She's like, eh, 
John's been, he's been struggling a little bit. I'm like, what do you mean? Well, John, you know, he gave me 700 the first month. And then the second month, it went down to 300. And, and now that you mention it here, we're into month three, and, and he actually hasn't given me a nickel. Now, again, as I already said, my, my wife is going to be fine either way. She, she has access to our bank account. I'm trying to make a point in even saying that. God doesn't need you. He can take care of this church just fine on his own. He's just trying to bless you. He's trying to break the power of greed in your life. He's trying to get you out from underneath that curse, show you that he has something better for you. So let me ask you a question. And I really want you to think about this. How do you think I would feel about John right now? If this was a real scenario, right? Like the, the first two guys, they're doing exactly as I asked, but, but John literally, he, he wasn't giving just 10% of my way. How do you think I would feel about him? Th- th- this is extraordinarily personal to me. Th- th- that's my wife. I-, I didn't have to give him anything. I-, I was trying to bless him. Shoot, I was only asking him to pass along 10% to my wife. And you will better believe that I wouldn't send him one more nickel because he can't be trusted. I'm going to give that 10000 that I was depositing into his bank account to the other two guys. And if you're watching right now and you're thinking that I've taken this story a little bit too far, isn't it true that over and over and over again, Jesus refers to the local church as his bride that the church is the bride of Christ. Tithing is more personal to God than any of us realize. Do we really think that God's relying on us to provide for, for his church? Or is it possible that he's actually just trying to provide for us? Is he perhaps trying to teach us to trust him? When he said you're robbing me, is it because he's having trouble paying the utility bills here at Grumlaw? Is it because he can't afford to pay the roads in heaven? No, he's saying, and I thought a lot about this, he's saying you're robbing me of the opportunity to bless you. You're robbing me of what I want to do for you because you won't do what is considered ordinary behavior for my children. Wherever you're watching from right now, I just want you to close your eyes. I want you to ask yourself, Holy Spirit, what are you trying to say to me right now? What are you speaking over me right now? For some of us, that's really simple. He's saying, come on, just be obedient. Do what is considered ordinary for my children. Begin to actually test me in this and watch. Watch how I show up and show off in your life. For others of you, that those of you in particular who have been living this, this is probably just a good opportunity to say thank you. To say thank you to the God of the universe who, who has so richly poured out blessing on your life. Thank you, God, for all the ways that you have gone before us, for the ways that you protect us, for the ways that you have even prevented calamity from entering into our lives. But again, I'm just going to ask you right now, again, whatever the Holy Spirit is whispering to you right now, please, please, don't walk away from that. Don't suppress that. This is the God who is for you. 
He has your best interest in mind. He's trying to invite you into something better. And we thank you, God, that that's the kind of God you are. The God who is so richly generous with us. The the, the God who who gave us your, your one and your only son. We need to look no further than the cross. It's your name we pray. Amen.